Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Right now that time, 6, I almost said 6, well, 8.39, it's, it's sometime, not 6.39, but 8.39, you're tuned into WGNS. It is the 29th of June, today is Monday, and the month is coming to a close, and in studio now with us, Scott Foster with The Journey Home. How are you this morning? Hey, Scott, I'm good. So what's new? You guys have been through some interesting times with the whole COVID-19 thing, it seems like, as everybody has, but you're you especially because you serve those who are coming in in big groups to have meals to have showers i mean so it's a little different compared to a retail business it is um it is hard to shelter in place when you don't have a place you know and um so throughout the the uh covid19 pandemic time uh, we just had to adapt and um the many many of the things that um you know restaurants and other businesses were doing in may when we were sort of reopening things uh, we started doing those back in march and um you know for us it wasn't a question of if we could close or not because we actually were requested by the, the state department of health and the cdc to hey keep your shelters open keep your day shelters open in any way possible try to provide additional uh, access to hygiene facilities and things like that so people can keep their hands washed and you know have a place to go to the restroom because when other things shut down sometimes people kind of forget that that those public places are places that folks that don't have a regular home use for personal services so we just started adapting and uh and you know uh, the social distancing thing and the the hyper vigilance on hand washing and and masking and uh, taking people's temperatures before they came into the facility and doing doing that kind of screening one of the big things the cdc talked about was that those who are medically fragile in any way maybe they have diabetes anything pre-existing they're more likely to be the ones who actually contract COVID-19. So when you talk about the homeless community as a whole, you're talking about a lot of people who don't have regular medical care. So a lot of them may have underlying medical conditions they may not even know about yet. Did you see more and more of them get sick with COVID-19 or were they, I mean, did they, they push through the storm or the, the biggest part of the storm okay? You know, actually, we saw um, virtually no cases of the virus in our homeless population. And um, actually, most of our homeless population does have those underlying conditions, uh, chronic health issues. And I don't think those um, issues in and of themselves um, help, um, you know, make a person more vulnerable to get the virus. It's just that if they get the virus, it could be a lot worse. And so in our case, um, actually, I think one of the things and, and, you know, I just I just attribute this to to God's design of us uh, is that um, as as people are around, um, you know, different people in a lot of times, not the best in sanitary places and that kind of thing, that it actually strengthens our immune system. And so I I attribute um, the fact that we, you know, to, to date, we've had one case 
Uh, and that was just a couple of weeks ago when actually a person that came from Nashville, uh, and at that time the Salvation Army, because they had several staff people that got the virus, but not anybody in the shelters, but they were having people tested, you know, uh, prophylactically. And so this fellow was asymptomatic, but he came up positive, so we have a separate protocol for working with people that that are positive but um, you know I just think that people's immune systems because they're around so many different things that are strengthening them all the time are just just hyper attuned hyper vigilant and uh, as soon as as they come into something like that they're just able to deal with it at the journey home you provide meals what three times a day twice a day for those on a regular basis during normal times how did you go about lining up volunteers to help to serve food prepare meals during the COVID times yeah that was that was probably our biggest challenge um our volunteerism uh went down drastically you know so many of our volunteers uh, we just love our volunteers so much um but they are retirees or older retirees and uh and we didn't want them to be there you know they they were an at-risk group if they got the virus it could be a lot worse uh than for you know for younger people or more healthy people and um we know that they missed being there as much as we missed having them but what we had to do was hire temporary uh workers uh, we were able in fact some of the workers that we hired were temporary temporarily available because their jobs were shut down due to the virus thing or we had a student that was a college student so they got shut down sent home to work online you know and was available because of that and um, so we had to bring in temporary staff and just in order to continue to have services what I guess what was the general thought of COVID-19 by the community you serve I mean I know you have there's some people who have underlying mental illness issues schizophrenia whatever it may be but what was the underlying thought or, or what did you hear as they came to you because you're that one trusted person and maybe they don't talk to anybody else but they they talk to you they talk to the staff there at journey home they trust y'all so what kinds of things were they coming to you with you know i think for the most part there was a lot of uncertainty just like in the general population uh, in fact in in for many of our folks that we serve uh, news or getting updated news uh, was usually delayed in getting to them so sometimes they didn't hear all of the you know all of the stuff that was going on on every news station and everything like that so sometimes they weren't as you know anxious or didn't have quite as much angst about it um, but you know uh, there was a, a sense generally um, that you know that hey this is just one more thing we got to get through it we got to do our best to do all the right things that we're supposed to be doing you know and uh, and we just got to get through this thing you know, I, I remember at the beginning of all this, when all the news first came about, the government was saying, you know, uh, maintain social distancing. Then the next thing you hear, the government's basically shutting down schools. So it all happened fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. But I remember in the very start, I had at least one or two people who I knew who were homeless who came to me and they said, is this real? Is this really happening? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. because they don't have the Internet with them 24-7 to be able right. to look up things on their phone if they're only able to look up when Wi-Fi is available. So, I mean, mm-hmm. some folks, it was hard for them to even comprehend that something like this was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, and the fact that, that um, you know, in some cases within their community, there wasn't particular evidence of it being such a big deal. 
because we didn't have a lot of people getting sick in that homeless you know community and when i'm talking about the homeless community i'm I'm pretty much talking about our chronically homeless the unsheltered and the folks in emergency shelters not maybe so much the folks that are couch surfing or folks that are in the motels when they can be and they're in the car when they're not but um, you know of the most vulnerable group they didn't see a whole lot of folks getting sick so yeah there were some that were going hey is this even real you know now i tell you when you walk down to the emergency room and you found the emergency room virtually empty mm-hmm. because people were only being able to go in if they had you know this type of a of an illness and it i guess for many of our folks they weren't able to get some of the you know care they needed you know there it wasn't just the the virus itself that was a problem it was the fact that that people couldn't get other care that they needed uh, we've had a lot of people that were displaced from work, a lot of the like day labor and, you know, you know, uh, temp to hire type places. They were the hardest hit, uh, or let me say, I don't know if they were the hardest hit, but they were hard hit. And so we had a lot of people that were staying like in motels week to week, and they were just paying because they got paid day to day, things like that, that, that were hit hard by the economic impact of it, you know. Did you see issues come up that, I don't know, may have surprised you, maybe so-and-so was on blood pressure medication or heart medication of some sort, and they couldn't get their prescription filled the, you know, when they ran out on a timely manner because some of the pharmacies weren't open regular hours like they used to be, or their line was too long. You know, I tell you, we, we were so blessed to have a nurse practitioner come over and work with us at our screening and triage area um, from the, I guess, probably the second week of March, roughly all the way through May. Uh, we screened every single person before they went to the building. We had a big tent set up in the outside, and, and uh, you know, we took temperatures and, and did questionnaires. Well, we had a, a nurse practitioner who volunteered her time. She was retired, but, uh, you know, it kept all of her, her uh, practice stuff up. And, um, and she actually helped people with other primary care type, first aid type, preventive care stuff. And we were able to call and get appointments uh, through the health department, through the St. Louis Clinic, uh, and places like that to actually get folks that needed care uh, the, the, the care they needed or you know, at least get prescriptions called in and things of that nature. Scott Foster with us this morning with The Journey Home here in Murfreesboro. And for those who don't know what The Journey Home is or what they do every day, uh, kind of give us a background on that. Sure, Scott. Um, it's a, it's a, a Christian ministry that uh, uh, involves many, many different church folks, but even outside of uh, church folks, other social organizations, heck, sports teams. We have a lot of different uh, groups that come together to serve those that are homeless or our or very very poor kind of housing unstable and uh, and we do things we provide just basic day-to-day needs and that helps us engage people into a relationship and then we work with those folks to kind of you know plan things and set a new journey and and move forward we have a housing program that has 25 units around town working on expanding that uh, you know housing is very central to people being able to access you know health and mental health resources and recovery and heck keeping a job and and uh, you know just uh, just their own relationships and family and parenting and so those are the you know we we start out with basic stuff and then we and a relationship and we work on that toward longer term goals the average person out there who lives in 
Murfreesboro or Nashville, when they drive through an intersection and they see somebody out there who may be asking for money, asking for food, asking for help, that may be their only real face-to-face contact with somebody who is homeless. I won't say a a real contact because they don't stop to even talk to them. So Mm -hmm. they don't know much about the homeless community other than, well, there's so-and-so who I see on the way to work every single morning. But that's, Mm -hmm. that's the extent of it. So when you talk about the homeless community, those who are chronically homeless, those who live in tents, literally live in tents, what what is the background of some of these people? Because there's, I know there's so many, but if you were to describe, if you were to say to the average Joe, you know, hey, slow down for a second, because that's not just somebody who's out of work. That's mm-hmm. somebody who also has this going on, this going on, and they suffered through this. I, I mean, it's not just a a short story of, hey he lost his job that's right um you know i would we would estimate that somewhere around three thousand thirty five hundred people a year in rutherford county experience homelessness now sometimes that's for a very short period of time and sometimes it might be for the whole year you know and it's a constantly moving target but there are some similarities uh, that kind of run in this group and we do have like you mentioned the chronically homeless group Uh, those are the folks who've been on the streets the longest uh, it's a it's a smaller percentage, uh, probably ten to twenty percent, but it, they are the folks that use the most resources. Uh, you know, emergency room care and hospitals and jails and other things like that, and the ones that could most be helped with being housed and connected to other supportive services. Um, a lot of those folks uh, are aging. Uh, we have a, a cold weather shelter program, uh, coldest nights, that we operate uh, during the cold weather months. And it was uh, astonishing to me to see the number of people in their upper 50s up into their early 70s that were coming to our shelters uh, this past uh, winter. And so uh, a lot of them uh, do have mental health and uh, issues and other uh substance abuse issues and things of that nature uh, and some of that is really exacerbated by being on the street and being vulnerable all the time uh, i tell you another uh, group that we have that's really fast growing is, fa- is families with children you know we've got so many folks that are just paycheck to paycheck and to be honest with you we do anticipate seeing the economic fallout of the the adaptations we had the shutdowns and things for the virus um, hitting us over the next several months you know we had an eviction moratorium that actually you know well i guess in some cases runs into this month Mm -hmm. but um you know there were people getting behind you know, and uh, so we we anticipate you know um, more more economic fallout. But for some of the folks that are out there, it's um, it is um, generational. It's things that you know there there tends to be a family history that might have been you know substance abuse or alcoholism in the in the, uh, the family growing up. There's been developmental trauma. They may have uh, kids may have been bouncing around from place to place. And, um, you know, those are the type of things that we see that lead to homelessness a lot of times. It seems like a lot of those who are homeless went through not one trauma, but multiple traumas growing up. You know, you, you hear the stories of, well, my father locked me in a closet for weeks at a time, fed me one meal a day. And you hear stories like that and you just think, no way. And then I guess after you slow down, listen to that person talk a little bit more, you realize that this is true. This this kind of stuff really does happen, which is, it's scary to think about. It's eye-opening. But when you hear stories like that, then you hear about how 
my mother was a, a drug user. It was heroin that she used every single day. I witnessed it time and time again. And then that person grows up knowing that, well, she felt better because of drugs, or at least that's what I saw. Mm-hmm. Then they start using drugs. I, I mean, the backgrounds of some people out there who live on the street, it, it's hard to even grasp or get an idea of what that would have been like. And then I guess you got to think, well, how do we get this person out of this state of mind? And the only way to do that is, well, there's not just one way. It's going to be a, a bunch of different ways together, counseling, medication if needed, and then rehabilitation for the addiction because you have addiction going on. You have mental illness going on. Then you may have different medical ailments as well that need to be addressed. So is there an easy way to address this stuff? You know, there's not. And, and I think you've hit the tail on the head. If I had to point to one thing, that is the most prevalent cause of people winding up on the street and with other you know struggles it is developmental trauma that trauma that happens to them from the time they're born to the time they're say 18 you know to in their childhood and in their adolescent years and as they grow up and if you've never learned anything except want and violence and and uh, broken brokenness then um, it's hard to overcome some of those things. And there, you're right, there are uh, different uh, treatment modalities available. But the thing is, many people won't uh, seek treatment, sometimes because they, they just become hopeless. There's a learned hopelessness sometimes that people just get beat down so much they just think it can't get any better. Sometimes there's that distrust you know, and one of the, I guess, if there is a, a logic in, in what we do, uh, is that we try to use basic needs simply to engage people and get them to come up so we can start to meet them. You can't really overcome anything else until you start to build relationship, until you start trusting people. Uh, there are many different, um, you know, medicines and therapies and, and groups and different things like that that can be very, very useful. Uh, but people have to go and they have to want to go they you know there there's no part of me wanting somebody to have a good life that is the same as them wanting to have a good life and so it has to get to the point where they want to engage others and they feel that it's safe and it's going to be useful and and and, you know that's a that's a slow process so no there are no quick fixes but but there are things out there that can be done i guess fear of the unknown is huge but it seems like if the state of tennessee and other states around the country would maybe dedicate more funding to providing counselors of some of some sort who you know can specialize in the homeless population uh maybe that would be a good start but then you also have these other problems like the addiction we talked about. So, I mean, there, there yeah. really needs to be something done. Mm-hmm. I, I guess funding would be a start, though, to kind of nip some of it in the bud. Yeah, you know, housing is the most central part to making everything else work. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't any other any other resources that work you know education we can't educate ourselves out of it we can't treat ourselves out of it we can't have enough groups we can't uh you know rebuild families to it without having housing you know from our old psychology classes you know the in our maslow's hierarchy of needs well the entire bottom foundation of it happens in a home you yeah. know it's our physical needs it's those needs for safety you know it's it's food water and shelter and and those kind of things and everything else builds off of that well it's the same when we're trying to treat you know mental health or or have recovery or rebuild families or create employment opportunities or 
raise educational attainment you know for the kids and break these cycles and so we we, we need housing uh, that's very important but we just housing is not the answer it's housing with you know services and supports and relationships that can help folks move uh, back into community life again scott foster with us with the journey home we have like 30 seconds left so as we close out how can we get a hold of you how can we learn more on on helping journey home we would be very happy for you to give us a call 615-809-2644 or to visit our website at www.lovegodserfpeople.org and we are definitely looking for new folks to get involved and we have a place for you to make a difference sounds good well scott thank you for joining us today thanks for having me time right now nine o'clock local news comes your way next The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's Place to Talk.